you know, some things I feel like got to be discussed because, uh, as we all know, we have your jobs to do uh, out in our community. You know, we have to be a light to the world. We have to make sure that we're, uh, you know, uh, showing the world that there's something different out there for them. Uh, it's crazy because when we look at the story of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, uh, you know, they're brought into captivity in Babylon. This new place, completely different than what they're used to. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure most of the population was killed in the way. Like, it was a pretty, it was a pretty rapid process bringing them all there. Um, so, it's, it's, it's something completely different than what they're used to. I think it's kind of honestly the society that we live in today, guys. I feel like, you know, a lot of times we get surrounded with each other and we can be surrounded by, you know, uh, like the church or the people of the church. And we kind of forget about the world around us uh, and the fact that there are other people out there. And it sucks because, you know, when we look at the world around us, it's so broken and so uh, miserable sometimes they don't even know it. You know, uh, just the other day I was watching, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a little pleasant nerd and like some games from that. I was watching, uh, I was on Twitch stream, which is pretty simple this. Don't get into it, it's, it's crap. Um, but uh, I watched this guy play a game, right? And the chat, people can like chat, and they're all around playing the game when they're all watching them. Started talking about like some of this uh, gender stuff that's been going on, you know, and the, the uh, gender neutral stuff and all this stuff. And the guy doing the game was very clear that he was like, no, you can do everything that makes people happy, say what makes them happy, all this stuff. You know, kind of goes against what, you know, of course, God teaches and what his word teaches. And uh, people kind of kept getting more intense and more intense about it. And then some language was being used. And I was like, man, this is, this is kind of getting out of control. And then uh, there was one person in the chat that started to disagree with what everybody else was saying. And he was immediately banned from that stream. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, th th but this is the world we live in. This is our Babylon. We live in a time and a place where uh, our ideas are not very popular and they're not really sought after at all. So how are people out in the world who are struggling and depressed and uh, you know, doing really simple things, how are they supposed to know that we actually do have something, that, that we have a community that they would actually want to be a part of and that we have love that they've never even seen before. And how are we supposed to do that? Well, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to look at what it takes to create uh, a healthy community while we're in a Babylonian type world. Right. Yeah, okay, so the first thing we must do in order to create a healthy community is we must make spending time with other disciples a habit. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. So a habit is something you do with frequency. You don't do it whenever you feel like it. You don't do it on occasion. It's something you have to do frequently, over and over and over again, so that it becomes this natural part of your routine, your day-to-day. -day. Um, and that requires a lot of effort. Uh, we have to put in the work to build habits, and we have to, we have to make sacrifices. Um, but hopefully, you know, spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ isn't, hopefully it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, um, because it really is a huge blessing. I think about, you know, the scripture that talks about once we make that surrender to God and baptism, we're immediately, um, you know, entered into his family, this kingdom that is surrounded by love and care and mercy. You know, and that's a blessing. Like, that's something I did not grow up with. I was not surrounded by um, like-minded people. I didn't have that support. And so hopefully um, you guys also view that as something that's exciting and you want to put in the work, you want to put in, put in the effort so that it becomes natural. For Daniel and, and his friends, it was really natural. And we see that in the second chapter of Daniel. So Daniel 2, 17 through 18, says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So a little background information. Uh, the king is having, King Nebuchadnezzar is having these dreams. He doesn't understand what they mean um, or what they're trying to portray, and it's really frustrating. 
Daniel and his friends are part of those advisors. So word gets out that the king is like, listen, I need someone to interpret this dream for me. Um, if, no one, if none of you can, I'm just going to kill all of you. So Daniel and his friends are in a literal life and death matter. And the first thing that Daniel does is he goes home and who does he find? Like his three best friends um, are there and they're ready to pray and fast and do whatever it takes to come before God and ask for um, some kind of resolution to save their lives. And I think it's really cool because we are so fortunate to have that in our own lives. I think about Chris and I's house, just how it's always open to our campus ministry, to our small group. There are always people there. Like, I get off work and I come home and there's people there. Just being surrounded by love and um, support. And it's cool because, you know, seeing Daniel, like, in this situation and his friends, not that we've been in a life or death matter, but there have been hard times and we have needed that support. And we have have needed people to like drop everything at once and, and come support us or cry with us or stay up all night, you know, spending that time with us and just letting us know we're not alone, like we're in this together. Um, so hopefully, you know, your small group leaders, your brothers and sisters aren't having to beg you to hang out with them, to be at events, you know, prop shop, girl time, guy time, whatever it may be. Um, you know, hopefully you guys are already making because I think it's one of those things that the world sees as weird, but it, it's so attractive, and they want to be a part of something that has that unity and that like-mindedness. Um, and so it's cool to see, like, even way back then, you know, Daniel and his friends had that same mindset where they were willing to make those sacrifices and make many times with others. like you guys are making sacrifice right now in this hot room. It's open to us. Yeah, give them a hot water. Alright, so yeah, so to create a healthy community, uh, we have to, of course, make spending time with other disciples and habit. We also have to be authentic and vulnerable. Alright? Uh, so this, this seems like one of those, well, duh, moments, right? If the world is going to be attracted to what we have in, uh, in our, behind our church doors, you know, in our homes, uh, and in our lifestyles, we have to be real about it, right? We can't be fake, we can't, uh, you know, be closed off. You know, it's not like, well, yeah, of course, you know, that needs to be the way it is. But, unfortunately, that can be a lot harder than what it sounds like, alright? So, uh, the reason this is, I think, I think that there are uh, three fears that happen every day in the human life, alright? Uh, something that I feel like we're kind of born with, we see growing up, um, and they create this cycle of insecurity um, that really make it a lot harder to be authentic and real with people, and make it really hard to open up and be deep and have this depth in our lives that we need to have in order to be that community that the world needs. Um, you know, these fears make it hard to do that. All right, the first fear we're going to talk about is the fear of exposure, all right? So, so many times in our lives, we go through this fear and we don't even know it. Uh, this is the fear where we're afraid of somebody seeing who we really are. Maybe something that we've done, or thoughts that we have. I mean, anything. Uh, I remember when I was engaged to Courtney, uh, there were, like, when I first got engaged, there were things I was like, man, am I going to tell her that I've you know, been a part of this, or that I've, you know, thought things like this, or I've been deceiving in these areas of my life? Like, And it was really scary for me, I remember, because I was like, that's, that's me. Like, she's going to really see me, like... And that's very, that's very difficult, even for the person I was going to marry. So imagine what if someone that you're just meeting and having that fear, right? I mean, it's going to cause a very shallow relationship right from the start. And they're not going to have anything to desire about what you have in regards to maybe going up and being like, this is who, hey, this is who I am, you know, I love life, and this is a why, and, you know, one of a friend, you know, or something like that, you know, being, having a luxury or whatever. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like that usually. Right? Where you're up seeing people hide stuff in the family. You know, I grew up, I mean, Courtney can definitely tell you she grew up in a family where things were very hush-hush, put under the rug, you don't say our business, you're not allowed, like, like we're not going to expose our imperfections, you know, even though we all are very aware that we're imperfect. Um, and we see this actually in, uh, in Daniel, uh, 
in that same story that we're going to talk about. Uh, in Daniel 2, 10 and 11, uh, we find the advisors and astrologers of the king uh, are questioned by the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, if they can interpret uh, his dreams. And they're like, yeah, no problem. Sure king. When in reality, they are being fake. They don't, you know, they don't know how to do that. But they, they tell them that because somebody wants to hear it. We do that a lot too. We say what we want to say and hopefully uh, get through, you know? Well, then the king informs them, by the way, if you do tell me what my dream is and what it means, so he's not even going to tell me what the dream is, they have to set, tell him what the dream dream is, then uh, I'll latch all these gifts on you and you'll be highly praised. But if you can't, then you'll be cut up into pieces and your families and your house will be burned down. And they're going to go crazy. It says uh, in Daniel 2, 10, 11, they say, The astrologer answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great mighty, has ever asked such a thing or of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. And so you see that they are putting up a front and they weren't, uh, they weren't being real. They weren't being authentic when they gave their first answer. And here they're exposed. And I can only imagine how embarrassed, how scared even they can be for their life after they've been exposed as to lying to the king. Uh, and guys, while it might not be life or death law for us, it's still something we do every day. It's this habit that we build ourselves into from like year one. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there are kids that will that will know that if they whine, they get what they want, or they act a certain way, even though they might not be upset, they get what they want, you know, and from then on, it's, that's our life. You know, that's what we know. That's what we grow up uh, And so the first fear of fear of exposure is very, very dangerous. Especially if we want people to actually see something different than what we have in our seniors. Uh, the second fear we're going to talk about it is usually an actual result of fear of exposure. It's the fear of rejection. Now this is something that I think uh, touches a lot of people. Uh, it's touched me uh, before and lots of times in my life actually I had a terrible fear of rejection growing up. Uh, a lot of times this can happen because of the fear of exposure. You're afraid that well, someone sees who I really am or they see the thoughts I actually have. Well, then they're going to reject it. They're not going to want to be a part of my life. They're not going to love me. They're going to love me. Love me is going to change, right? And so, we get that fear. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I, this is the first memory I have of feeling that hurt of being rejected. Uh, it was that elementary age where everyone's talking about dating and, oh my gosh, I don't know what relationships are. So now I got to talk about with my friends, you know, girlfriends this, boyfriends that, like, you know, that, that little time, and, you know, kids find that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh man, this is good for my And I went up to her at recess, and I remember when I asked her, and she was like, no. And I was like, I was floored. I was like, why? I was like, what is it about me you don't like? I was like, am I like super ugly or something? Am I not funny enough? Am I not cool enough? Like all these different thoughts in my head for the first time. And I didn't understand it. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, why Why would you not want to be my girlfriend? I'm awesome. You know? <laughs> I couldn't understand it. And so I remember, uh, and I remember at first it was like, well, man, maybe I'll have to try to get over this. And a few years later, still in school, I remember I tried it again with another girl. And she said no. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, what is wrong with you? And this spiraled up until I met the church when I was 21. Elementary age. This is the first memory I had. It could have been even earlier. You know, up until I was in college. And it only got worse, you know. I was super insecure. I didn't believe myself at all. I knew no one around me believed me. That's what I thought. Uh, I was like, every time my mom would support me, I'd be like, it's just pity support to my mom. You know, I mean, like stuff like that. Like, you know, thoughts that I started getting in my head because I was so afraid of being rejected by people and thought there was something wrong with me. Guys. And when we feel that way, guess what? We're, guess what we're looking? Am I looking out in the community? Am I trying to be like, what can I do to show them that they guys are better? No, I'm too busy looking at myself. And it might feel weird saying this, but guys, that's selfish. Being insecure, being, having that fear of rejection, it's actually selfishness. You know? And if we have that, we're not going to make any impact at all in this Babylonian world that we live in. We're not going to. And so we have this fear of exposure, and it oftentimes leads off to this fear of rejection. But what makes it a cycle, what brings both things together and makes it a cycle, is the fear of being hurt again. We're hurt for that first time at some point in our lives. Where, for me, let's say it was that first time I asked a girl, right? And it hurt. I didn't like it. Well, guess what? I didn't want it to happen again. So I feared being hurt. I started thinking about what's wrong with me. You know, well, maybe I did something wrong, you know? And then I started 
and then I'm right back to the fear of exposure. And then we're right back to fear of rejection, you know, when another event occurs. And then I'm afraid of getting hurt again. You know, and even if maybe I don't get rejected once or twice, do you think I'm gonna like for every ten times I don't get rejected and the one time I do get rejected in some situation, you know what I'm gonna think about? I'm gonna think about that one time I was rejected. That's natural human tendency, you know? And so guys, it's very, very dangerous because if we're gonna to try to be authentic and vulnerable for a broken community that deeply needs God in their lives, we have to be able to get over these things. We have to push ourselves to be open with people in our lives, to be honest, and to get over some of these hurts and barricades we put in our lives from our past. So uh, I love a lot how it says it in James 5.15. It says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, James here knows that we're all hurting. It's impossible not to be. We're in the same hurt world, right? There's hurt everywhere we look. You know? But if we admit our faults to one another and we're praying for each other, he says we can be healed. And it's so true. There's been so many times where I've, I've had to complain. I remember earlier I talked about, you know, in our engagement, you know, when we first got married, I had to come out with a lot, a lot of stuff that I was being deceiving. You know, I mean, it's not like I was like, cheating on her right now. But I mean, there was things that I was like, well, if I say it this way, maybe I'll get what I want, you know? Or if I do like something like in this order, maybe uh, later on I'll reap benefits, you know? Stuff like that. And I had to come out and be like, this is who I really am. And it hurt our relationship really, really deeply at that time. But at the same time, if I wouldn't have done that, there wouldn't have been uh, that healing process that happened afterwards. And it would have been worse. And so, not only would I have not been able to affect the community, but I would have been impacting my own life because I'm not doing what the word is telling me to do. Right? And that's that's what happens when we're authentic, when we're real with what our, our lives are, when we're real with what our hurts are, and when we start to be vulnerable and break down those walls and let people in. You know? And it's so attractive, guys. The world. That's one of the things that attracted me the most when I first saw this church. I just invited and I went and I was like, whatever, I'll come. And I saw how open people were during these cross chat sessions, and I was like, what the heck are people talking about? Why are they talking about their lives? Like, is insane, you know? It is so attractive. In 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 is, is a super encouraging verse. Uh, Paul's talking, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This thing is true, and it can be trusted. I was the worst sinner of all, but since I was worse than anyone else, God had mercy on me and let me be an example of the endless patience of Christ Jesus. He did this so that other people would put their faith in Christ and have eternal life. And guys, that's the exact step right there. It says, I was the worst. I was a terrible person. Uh, you know, I mean, if you guys, I'm sure you all know this word Paul. You know, it was Saul. He uh, was literally a Christian killer. And then became one of the, you know, most uh, impacting uh, ministers there ever was. And went around planting churches everywhere. Uh, the first century churches. Uh, but it's because of the endless patience of Christ Jesus, he had the opportunity to fix not only himself, but to show other people that they had an opportunity. So guys, it's, it's extremely important that we understand that there can be no fakeness about our lives. We have to show the world who we are, to show them what we're about, and if we don't, why would they want to be a part of this? You know? Okay. So, in order to create a healthy community, not only do we have to make spending time with other disciples a habit, be authentic and vulnerable, but we also there also must be mutual accountability and so, like Chris talked about, you know, just the hurt that we experience in our lives, it's, it's mainly due to our sin, either the sin in our own lives or the sin caused by others that have affected us. Um, so, you know, since, unfortunately, we're not perfect and there's sin in our lives, you know, sin separates us from God and from his community. So, the Bible is very clear on how we should deal with sin. In Galatians 6, 1 through 2, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then again, in Hebrews 12, 11, it talks about discipline. It says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, for those who have been trained by it. So these are not fun verses to read. I don't get warm feelings when I read them. It's actually quite funny. I know there's sin in my life, and I know there has to be something 
done about it in order for me to grow in my relationship with God and in order to create that healthy community. Um, I think it's weird because it talks about how painful it is at the time, and I mean, it's right. Like, I, every time I'm challenged or corrected, um, I do, I immediately feel like my pride comes up and I feel hurt and ashamed. But I also know later on, I'm really encouraged. Like, I'm so thankful I have people in my life to say those hard things and to point out that correction because I did not
sure, a problem in your life, but we had each other's backs, you know, and not in just a way where we sent out a text and was like, oh, sorry to hear that, or man, I heard that, you know, this happened to my friend's family, oh, that sucks, you know, like, but they were actually getting together, we're praying together, and we're thinking about each other, and when they're not even around praying about them, you know, and we're asking them constantly, we're holding them accountable and everything, we're struggling, whatever it might be, we're there for them, you know, and they're there for us too. And it's, it's an amazing system. And we see it, uh, you know, I know a lot of you guys know the story about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're about to get thrown into this fiery furnace for not bowing down to this golden idol that, uh, you know, the king has set up. And uh, it's really cool because they're, once again, facing death. A pretty horrible death. You know, I mean, you guys imagine, you know, if someone's like, hey, Bow down this idol, I'm gonna light you on fire right here. Progressing, I'm gonna light you on fire. Like that—that's pretty radical, right? That's a pretty crazy way to go out. But it says here in Daniel 3, 16 and 18, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to them, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from your Majesty's hand. But even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve the God or worship the image of gold that you have set. And it's so crazy because it doesn't say that Shadrach said that or you know, Abednego said that. Like, it says all three of them. It wasn't just one guy saying it. You know, so you guys were like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm getting out of here. Like, no, like, they were there together. They had to the backs, and they were sympathetic for each other in the scenario they were in. And they all, all three of them knew, we're going to do what our guy wants us to do. He's going to save us. You know, and it's crazy because he does. Like, they get thrown into the furnace, and they come back out after without even a hair on their head since. Which is so cool. You know, to see that uh, their faith and their brothership with each other, you know, that fellowship they have with each other, you know, brought them through that time. You know, and so to be thinking, guys, about ways that you guys can, can serve the people in your lives and be grateful and the fact that you can have them in your lives, you know, and you know, they can be praying about, you know, just whatever's going on in the church, even maybe anything. You know, be sympathetic because when the world sees that, they want it, they desire it, they crave it. Something they don't get. You know, something that I prayed that I didn't even know was, was real. I never knew it was real until I became part of this church. It was like, this is awesome. You know, and the support that we have is amazing. You know, and so people out there that don't know what they're missing out on, right? We have to show them. Okay, so the next thing we must do in order to create a healthy community is we need to be able to provide a safe and confidential place. You guys, you're never going to be able to, de to develop any close fellowship in your small group without confidentiality. Proverbs 11.13 says no one who gossips can be trusted with a secret, but you can put confidence in someone who's trustworthy. Um, I think about that scene in Mean Girls, you know, it's like, who here has been personally victimized by Regina George? And I think all of us could say we've been victimized by gossip, whether we've been the one, you know, gossiping or things have been gossip about us. I, I feel like gossip is something that is incredibly damaging. Um, it was something that really affected me growing up. I felt like um, I always had to watch my back. I, I didn't have close friendships growing up. It was, um, it was something that really took a toll on my heart. I would always have my walls up because I had been um, a victim of gossip. I also
a close friend and to be reliable. I think it's cool because, yeah, as much as I crave it, like Daniel had these traits and these characteristics. In Daniel 6.4, it says that this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Um, I don't know, I just think how cool it is that Daniel was known for that, you know, as a man to be known as being really trustworthy, of having his friends back, of being someone that was reliable and people could depend on, and no one could find anything wrong with him. Um, she finds it so impressive because she finds things wrong with me all the time. What? <laughs> I mean, Uh, I'm going wrong, because you want to teach me about this. 
But it's very hard sometimes to maybe have someone, um, maybe they're new to the church, or maybe they you know, uh, have you know, a weakness in some area and they need help them a little more or whatever. But to be able to give them that grace freely, because that's what we both do, right? Because what Jesus did. I mean, every single one of us lives an imperfect life, and yet he still came down and died on the cross for us. But I can't get over the fact that maybe somebody in my small group is, you know, uh, not helping out in the second ministry or, you know, being selfish or, uh, you know, is, you know, walks into Lake Church or something like that. Like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, I was given that grace and I was talked to, you know, uh, in a loving way. So I have to make sure that I'm doing the same thing. I have to make sure that I am going to the people in my life. And if there's something going on, maybe they need to be challenged on, or maybe there's something going on that uh, if need someone to talk to, even like, I'm not going there and presenting myself as maybe maybe I'm, you know, just telling them what they need to do, but I'm going there and I'm asking them, well, what's going on, you know, or uh, what kind of help in the situation, or let them know, like, if this is an area that you're going to have to address, because I've seen this turn south before, that you continue doing what you're doing, you know, but letting them know in a loving way that, listen, I'm going to give you grace. And I hope that you choose to make different choices in the future, you know, but, um, you know, instead of being like, what are you doing? You know, or uh, what time is it? You're not being here? Or uh, I thought you were bringing this, you know, to cross that. And then you didn't, you, you know, you're 10 minutes late, and what do you, why do you forget it? You know, and just being short and demanding, um, it doesn't do anything. It, it doesn't do anything. And, you know, when I do that, I'm doing the same things I did when I was in the church anyway. I'm not being changed. I'm not being someone that truly believes that he died for my sins, you know, and came down and sacrificed everything for myself. No. That's another area of my life that I need to make sure that I'm changing and growing in so that they can benefit people around me, you know. And, guys, once again, once we get a hold on that, that's something that when the world sees it, you know, if, let's say I'm at Crosshead someone comes in late or something, if I'm sitting there like, you know, yep, my gum's at him. You know, and uh, you know, someone that's new to Crosshair comes in and sees that, they're not going to see anything different than maybe what they see in their own house. You know, or maybe what they see that they didn't like, that they, you know, that, you know, are in school or something, you know, whatever, whatever situations might be. You know, we have to make sure we're showing them that we have grace for each other, and that while we don't tolerate sin, we still love each other. You know, we still try to push each other to be better each and every day when you grow in that relationship with Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3.13, it says, you must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And guys, it's just a, it's just a, a nice reminder. The Lord did forgive us, you know? We don't have to be so so uh, demanding or so agitated, you know? Like, the Lord forgave, you know, Courtney as much as he forgave me, you know what I mean? I, he, gave, he gives Courtney as much grace as he gives me, like, we, we need to do the same thing. So, just remember, guys, whenever you're uh, talking to someone or challenging someone, make sure we're being loving. You're doing it not in the way that maybe people in the world you know, or a lot of times a lot of parents are just demanding, you know, where you're not showing your support or love. Okay, so the last thing we need to do in order to create a healthy community is we must be unified around the purposes of God. Unity is the ultimate pinnacle of fellowship. And we discover unity around God's purposes, not around personality. You can have unity without uniformity. God doesn't want us all to be alike, but he wants us to be unified. Um, I feel like this is something I tend to talk about a lot, but it's cool because it it does, I, it affects, uh, affects my life a lot, and I feel like really does my heart good knowing that I don't have to um, fit in with and be, you know, just like everyone else. I felt like growing up, I almost had to be a chameleon and like the same things as the people I was hanging out with or not like those things. Um, I don't know, I really struggled with uh, being my own person and finding my own opinion for my likes or my dislikes because I wanted to fit in and I wanted that acceptance. Um, you know, God created us to create relationships and we desire that. And obviously, you know, I wanted to be a part of something growing up, but I never felt like I could be myself. I always had to find, um, I had to find 
to conform with other people and be like them. And so when I look at God's kingdom and the healthy community that we have in God's kingdom, it's cool because there is not one personality to like. I mean, even in this room, I know most of you guys uh, from our ministry, and it's cool knowing, like, you know, even like you guys in the front row sitting together, like, I know you're all friends and you're a part of God's kingdom and love each other, but you cannot be any more different. And I think that's something the world, uh, it doesn't see a lot. You know, the world, especially right now, it tends to fear differences and, uh, you know, you have to like the same things or dislike those things or you're shunned, like Chris talked about. Um, we don't really see a lot of diversity and being able to be a part of a community that is so diverse, has different personalities, different likes, different dislikes, um, it's just something that I'm, I'm really grateful for. Some of my closest friends, we cannot be any different. And I'm so thankful for that. I, they teach me things, I learn new things, I'm able to be myself, you know, and I don't know, I just think it's, you know, when it says, and Acts, and I'm sure most of you have, have read the first five chapters of Acts, you know, it talks about how they were one accord, they were unified, they were all together, they were one heart and one spirit. Like, nowhere does it say that you have to act the same, like the same thing, have the same personality. It just talks about how their foundation is based on God and having that same purpose to be a light to the world. Um, and I think that's exactly, you know, what being a part of God's kingdom all about is obviously uh, reaching a world that's hurt and broken, like Chris talked about, uh, you know, going out into Babylon and making sure that we are showing people something different, not that they have to be just like us, but that we can have fellowship and close relationships and be completely different because of our purpose, um, the purpose of God and how it's built on Him and things that are eternal instead of, um, you know, just the, the things that the world tells us you have to be like. Okay, guys, so wrapping up, um, you know, I'm going to go over here in a little bit uh, scripture of what I personally think it should look like to the world when we're together and we're doing all these things. But I just want to remind you guys, like, whenever you guys are going to your classes, whenever you're going to your work, you're going to your job, you your home, your families, like, what do they see different about you? Do they see what community you're a part of now? Do they see the, the kingdom that you're a part of now? Something better, something greater than what they could ever know? Can they tell? That's something I think we all need to ask ourselves every day. How can I make sure that the people that are surrounding me can tell that I'm a part of something greater? That I'm a part of a loving group that is sympathetic, vulnerable, authentic, that loves being around each other? How are they able to tell? Even if there's no one else around you that's maybe part of your church or your ministry or... Honestly, it shouldn't matter. We should be able to stand out. You know? And it doesn't mean you're like, arguing your professors, you know, even though sometimes it might be being serious some point that one, but... You know, or you're shouting, you know, on top of your, you know, uh, top of your voice or anything, like, I love Jesus! Or anything like that. But what is an effective way that you can be different? Alright? Um, and guys, one of the most well-known verses, I think, when we talk about what a church would look like is found in Acts 2. Now, we're going to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, They spent their time learning from the apostles, and they were like a family to each other. They also broke bread and prayed together. Everyone was amazed by the many miracles and wonders that the apostles were. All the Lord's followers also met together, and they shared everything they had. They would sell the property and their possessions and give the money to whoever needed it. Day after day, they met together in the temple. They broke bread together in different homes and shared their food happily and freely while praising God. Everyone liked them. And each day, the Lord added to their others who were being saved. That's one of my favorite parts about this verse. They're on the end there. Now, there's some pretty profound and deep verses in the Bible. But never hear that part or it just said Everyone liked them. How crazy is that? You know, there's always someone in the world, you know what I mean? Like, but here you see, and it almost sounds to me like they just 
knew how to be a family. They knew how to be a godly family. They knew how to be a godly community. And because they knew that, people around them saw that, and they liked it. They were attracted to it. Guys, that's what we're called to be. That's what Daniel and his friends were. That's why they survived for 70 years in Babylon. You know, they just because the people around them. I mean, it, it, it says uh, so many times that Daniel is like promoted throughout the king's court, you know, or whatever you know it's called. But he's like promoted several times to where he was like one of the head of people. And at some point, the king's actually thinking about giving him control over all of Babylon and in one of the fields that they, he was put in charge of. The entire, the entire uh, area of Babylon. That's, that's a pretty big area. You know what I mean? Like, and they must have liked the guy, right? They must have liked his friends too, right? Like, how many times do they do things in God's name and he never can was like, well, your God is the God. Unfortunately, he never can was very flimsy and go back and forth a lot. But, it's just crazy to see the difference that they made because they knew what they were doing. They knew what they had. They knew what area they were in, but it didn't matter. They knew how to be a community together. And they knew that if they didn't do things right, either they weren't going to survive or they weren't going to make a difference. You know? But they put God first. They put their priorities straight. And you know, they did a lot of good things while they were there. So I'm going to pray for them quick and we'll uh, break up right after. Uh, dear Lord, I just really want to thank you for this group and for uh, the lesson that we were given this year. I know, uh, you know, it's not too different from what we had last year, but it's just such a good topic to talk about and it's such a good thing to look at because the world is hurting, Lord. Like, there are so many hurt and damaged people out there that need you, and they don't know they need you. They, they think, oh, religion, oh, God, like, well, that's not going to do me any good. Or I guess to go to church, you know, like, that doesn't do me any good, but, Lord, they don't know. And how are they going to know unless we show them? God. And so we have to make sure that we're strategizing and we're planning and we're, we're uh, fellowshipping with each other and showing the world that there are other options. You don't have to be a part of some demographic that you know is political or, or uh, you know, spiritual or whatever. Just believe that you sent your son down. He loved us enough to die for us and that he sacrificed everything so that we could be closer to you, Lord. That's all that matters. And that's all that we should be showing the world. I just want to pray that uh, we all leave here uh, motivated to do your work, God, and that we uh, our hearts are open and honest with ourselves. And if there's some things in the lesson that you know don't quite jive with maybe the way we've been living, that we try to fix those areas and uh, draw ourselves closer to you in the process. Thank you again for sending your son down. Uh, without him, none of this would be possible. Let me pray. Amen.